This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. William Harris, research professor in Department of Medicine at Sanford School of Medicine, the University of South Dakota in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He is also director of the Nutrition and Metabolic Disease Research Center. He has a Ph.D. in human nutrition and over 27 years of publications involving omega-3s and cardiovascular health. Dr. Harris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, let's start with what got you so interested in, in fish oil. In fish oil? Well, I suppose it was being assigned to a project when I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship, assigned to a project to determine uh, the effects of feeding salmon oil on blood cholesterol levels in people back in uh, the late 70s. So who knew that it would actually have some beneficial effects? Well, the Eskimos knew. We just didn't know. Right. So let's talk about essential fatty acids. I know there's two families. Can you kind of describe them for us? Sure. The two families of essential fatty acids, meaning fatty acids that have to be consumed in the human diet uh, because we can't make them. The omega-6 and the omega-3 classes, the omega-6 is the ones most commonly eaten. They are the ones from vegetable oils characterized by linoleic acid, which is an 18-carbon fatty acid with two double bonds. Is that the one you get from flaxseed oil? No, no, that's on the other side. The one you get from flaxseed oil is in the omega-3 family, but it's called alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, sometimes abbreviated. And it is it is of the omega-3 family, but I think it's at this point sort of a, a poor stepchild in the omega-3 family because it has not yet been well documented to have the cardiovascular benefits that the longer chain, the more adult, uh, grown-up omega-3s that you get from fish, EPA and DHA. Is there any place else we can get omega-3s from besides fish? The only source at this point is going to be some microorganisms are known. Actually, this is the original source of the long-chain omega-3s in the ocean is, is, is microorganisms, and they are the ones that make it. And there are some companies that are now culturing some of these bugs and growing them and extracting the oils from them. And those are being used in baby formulas. But it's only DHA at this point, not the EPA. But but I think in time, there will be non-fish microorganism-based sources of both EPA and DHA. So the omega-3s are actually made by a bug, and then those bugs are ingested by the fish? Are the bugs ingested by plankton, and then the fish ingest plankton? Yeah, well, the plankton are the bugs I'm talking about. Okay. Zooplankton, phytoplankton, and those are consumed by the really, really little fish. And then the big fish eat the little fish, and up the food chain it goes. So for those fans of SpongeBob SquarePants out there, they should not demonize the character Plankton. I don't know if you're familiar (laughs) with that, but Plankton's a bad guy in that show. But in real life, Plankton seems to be pretty good for us. Absolutely. Tell me why, what is so great about omega-3s? What do they do that is of benefit to human beings? A lot of things. I I think we kind of have to begin to think of, at least in the Western culture, American diet, we are deficient in these things. So what they they do is they bring us back to a state of more optimal health. and, And the way they do it basically is by changing the composition of 
tissue membranes. When you eat omega-3s, they get into the membranes of your body, and they change the characteristics of those membranes, and that has a lot of effects from lowering elevated triglyceride levels, if you get enough omega-3, to changing the electrical properties of the heart and perhaps even changing the electrical properties of the brain as you get proper or healthy amounts of omega-3 back into those membranes. Can we explore the proper dose or the proper amount of omega-3 to kind of reach a normal level, just to even get to where we should be, not even an excess level? Yeah, where we're at now as a country, we're taking in about maybe 100 to 150 milligrams a day of EPA and DHA. In Japan, they're taking in, on average, about eight or 900 milligrams a day, so about eight times what we're taking. And that intake that the Japanese are doing is, is a much more healthy intake. The target intakes that are being recommended around the, around the world now for general health, general cardioprotection, not for treating anything, are around four to 500 milligrams a day. And you mentioned there are some potentially electrical benefits of taking fish oil. I assume you're referring to the, the Italian study that looked at using fish oil and actually decreased cardiac events. Can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, the GC trial was a study that was intended to determine whether taking a, a reasonably low dose of omega-3 fatty acids, and this was given as 850 milligrams of EPA plus DHA in one capsule. The product that was used was called Omicor. It's In the U.S., it's called Loveza. And it's a very highly concentrated pharmaceutical, actually written as a prescription product. And it was about 11,000 patients who had survived a heart attack were randomly placed on either one capsule of Omicor or given usual care, which included all the other drugs that they would give patients who survive a heart attack. And they followed them for three and a half years for total cardiac outcomes. And what they found was about a about a 28% drop in risk for death from any cause. So there was a reduction in risk for total, in total mortality, which is a remarkable finding. But even more remarkable was there was a nearly a 50% drop in risk for sudden death. And that observation that sudden death was reduced is what points most of us to the idea that the omega-3s stabilize the heart against fatal arrhythmias, which is the, the typical cause of sudden cardiac death. Dr. Harris, what's the nice combination that you want between EPA and DHA? Do you need a, a certain combination or formula? We don't know at this point. I think the important thing is to get both EPA and DHA in a product, perhaps at a roughly equal amounts or maybe two to one or one to two, somewhere in that range. That's what the product that was used in the GC trial where there was documented cardiac benefit is slightly more EPA than DHA. A predecessor study to the GC study, which did not give a pill, but basically gave people advice to eat oily fish like sardines, herring, mackerel, salmon, these sort of things. In that study, it's called the DART study there was an equal death benefit, a reduction in about 28-29% death. And in eating those kinds of fish, those kinds of fish actually have more DHA than EPA, and they got the benefit. So we have examples where whether you're a little bit EPA-rich or DHA-rich, you get the same cardiac benefit. So I think that's where the evidence is today. We have only one trial with hard cardiac endpoints that use one of the two omega-3 fatty acids, and it was done in Japan. And they used EPA only. And in fact, in Japan, this particular product is a pharmaceutical product called Epidil. And it is just pure EPA. And in, this was a very large study, over 18,000 patients 
who were all taking a statin were randomized to take either the Epidel or usual care and then followed for five years. And they found a significant reduction in total cardiac events given just pure EPA. Now, that might suggest that EPA is the active agent, but it doesn't necessarily because the study was done in Japan where, again, the high background intake of EPA and DHA sets a different substrate now than what we would have here in the West. The fact that it was effective, just EPA on top of a high background fish oil intake was remarkable, but it does suggest that at least EPA is good, and we think DHA is probably just as good. It sounds like there's never a problem with too much fish oil. I mean, here are the Japanese who have a large fish intake, and then you're adding more to their diet, and it it kept providing a benefit. Yes. There's no actual toxicity, per se. Well, you mentioned toxicity. Some people bring up the worry or the concern if you're using high doses of, let's say, Lavaza or Omicor in someone that may be on Coumadin or maybe someone who's just at a increased risk of bleeding. Is there a clinically significant response in terms of bleeding? No, but you're absolutely right. That is commonly brought up. Um, Mostly it harkens back to studies with the Eskimos when they were taking huge amounts of omega-3 and they reported anecdotally to have increased bleeding. But the studies that have been done, there have been now about 15 major clinical trials that have used omega-3 in uh, the setting of patients who are undergoing vascular surgery of some sort. Uh, It's a significant vascular insult like either angioplasty bypass surgery, or even diagnostic cath. And in every case, they were also given either aspirin or Coumadin, dipyridamol, something that would be an antiplatelet or anticoagulant. And the combination of the omega-3s, and this is typically high doses, this is 3 to 7 grams of omega-3 in these studies, not one of them did they report any clinically significant bleeding from the addition of the omega-3s. I think we're pretty confident that the omega-3s do not worsen bleeding tendencies. It's possible they might make people bruise a little bit more, but there's nothing clinically significant about the bleeding risk by adding omega-3. That's good to know. I have a hard time trying to explain to patients how fish oil actually works on lowering triglycerides. Is it a substitute? Does it work on the nucleus? How does it work? It's a good question, and it really hasn't been totally settled in humans because we haven't been able to get at the liver like you can get at the liver of a rat. But if we look at what happens when you feed fish oil to rats and look at the enzymes and the systems that are affected, we see that feeding the fish oil causes the liver actually to, to reduce its production of fat itself. It reduces triglyceride production. It turns off some of the genes that code for proteins that make fat. And so that's one thing that taking the omega-3s does. It reduces the the rate of uh, triglyceride fat synthesis in the liver, and it also increases the rate at which the liver burns some of the fat that it it does make. This is uh, beta-oxidation, fatty acid oxidation. And so that process is increased. The synthesis of fat in the liver is decreased by giving the omega-3s And it's not because they're substituting for other fats because we're not, you know, the amount of omega-3 you actually give to a patient. Say you gave them four grams of Lovesa, which gives you three and a half grams of omega-3. Three and a half grams of omega-3 in the context of a diet that has probably 100 grams of fat in it is nothing. It's very tiny. So we're not substituting out the omega-3s for other fats. The omega-3s have 
almost pharmacologic effects themselves on the production of enzymes that control fat synthesis and fat burning. And they turn it the right way so that it just reduces the amount of fat the liver makes. Then the liver has to reduce the amount of fat it secretes. Has anyone looked at the effect on fatty liver by giving people high fish oil doses? It's a great question, and they're just now beginning to look at the effect on NASH and steatohepatitis, fatty liver syndromes. And don't know where that's going to go. It, it, it does sound like it makes sense. But the people have been studying fish oils for a long time, and nobody's really, there hasn't been a glaring drop in liver function tests improvement of liver function test that is really stuck out like a sore thumb, like you might expect if it actually was improving hepatosteatosis. So I don't know if it's going to work or not, but it hasn't been carefully looked at. Dr. William Harris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great. Enjoyed it. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.